Brian Barnett is just a regular guy. He's not a doctor. He has no legal license in any field of mental or emotional health. Brian Barnett merely shares the insights he's gained from his personal experiences for anybody who may choose to use such information as he or she personally chooses, while accepting full responsibility for his or her own individual thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and actions. Brian Barnett assumes no responsibility whatsoever for anybody's individual choice to expose himself or herself to any information that Brian Barnett shares. And by listening to this program, you're acknowledging that you, and only you, are responsible for your own thoughts, feelings, and actions. Happy Thursday, y'all. Welcome back to The Last Symptom. I'm Brian Barnett, the creator and the host of The Last Symptom. So glad that I could have you back here with me again this week. Going to spend just a little bit of time here on the announcements, but not very long. I just wanted to tell you about uh, www.thelastsymptom.com. That's my website full of free resources. I hope you'll take advantage of them. There are some paid resources there. Uh, the paid resources, along with uh, donations, really support my work in tremendous ways and have allowed me to, to do this for as long as I have. I, I thank you all who have donated and um, encourage you to uh, to do that if you got the hankering and, and the means. The paid resources are one-on-one phone conversations with me, uh, one-on-one Zoom conversations with me, video conversations, and of course, the, most importantly, The Last Symptom Fundamentals course, which is a two-week intensive pre-recorded course very simple uh, it's accessible there at www.thelastsymptom.com uh, it's two weeks long it's much superior to things like dbt and uh, it's pre-recorded so it works with your schedule if you've ever taken a college pre-recorded course like online the same kind of format so there's nothing scary or uh, difficult about it the last symptom podcast is now usually available as a video as well so you can i'm i'm looking at myself right now if you'd like to see me talk about these things rather than just listen to me uh, depending on how brave you are and you know whether you've eaten yet or not uh, you can do that on either uh, rumble or youtube and finally last but not least i'd like to tell you about my online community over at locals you would love to join us there i've been so busy here lately that i haven't been um, super busy on there but i do try to get on there and post some useful things or you know in, uh, entertaining or uh, insightful things as often as i can some personal things uh, and the way that you join us there is uh, very simple you go to www.thelastsymptom.com dot locals l-o-c-a-l-s dot com and as i said we would love to have you there let's talk about bullying today and why society's focus and emphasis on bullying is pretty much complete misdirection and completely misplaced as i was doing this outline i thought boy some of the things you're saying barnett have the potential to get you uh, censored 
or even banned from some of these uh, platforms that uh, don't really value differences. Uh, well, let's say anything that contradicts the, the common narrative. And uh, I decided, well, I'm just going to have this conversation anyway. That's, one of, that's the reason why I'm on Locals. And it's the reason why I'm on Rumble. That's uh, the reason why I've drawn away from some of these platforms so that I can tell the truth as I see it and present my case and not have anybody telling me I can't present, at least present the case. So let's talk about bullying today. And there's going to be some sensitive talk in this too because, you know, it deals with school shootings and stuff like that that, uh, you know, gets people's emotions real riled. But every time there is a school shooting, the first things you start hearing is the media and other people blaming the school shooting on bullying. Ain't that true? In fact, they almost talk about it. They don't come right out and say that it's reasonable, that the school shooting is reasonable because the kid was bullied. They don't come right out and say that. But you can almost hear in the direction of their reasoning that on some level they are inserting some, well, it's kind of reasonable that this kid would go to school with a, with a gun and kill all these kids. You know, when they start with that bullying narrative, and like I say, you won't hear them come right out and say that it's reasonable and they won't excuse it, but just listening to them talk, <laughs> that was my belly. Did you? I wonder if my uh, microphone picked that up. My belly went, and I, I ate. I'm not hungry. But when they start with that talk, you know, you can almost hear them in the tone of their voice or whatever, sort of leaning in that direction. They don't go there, but they're leaning there. Who do the real bad guys start to seem like? Well, there's the shooter, of course. But isn't it true that once that bullying narrative starts, that uh, the bullies also get pulled into that classification, right? They're they're part of the they're part of the whole thing, right? Even though they didn't have a gun, they didn't hurt anybody. You know, they didn't kill anybody. Uh, they get pulled into that category as being kind of in the same category as the shooter himself. Ain't that true? Well, I'd just like to remind you, you know, as we're getting this conversation here started, uh, that we're talking about, in most cases, children here. Now, they might be teenage children, but they're still children. And we're going to talk about that a lot today, about what this classification of being a child, what that really means as far as responsibility and those sorts of things go and who can be held accountable and those sorts of things go. You know, we might be talking about 15-year-olds, 14-year-olds, but the, they're still children. And we're going to talk today about who's responsible for children and what are children responsible for. It's going to be a good conversation. An online personality that I like to listen to from time to time who is often very insightful on a multitude of topics gets this bullying thing completely wrong. 
In fact, right after this latest school shooting, it was the first thing he blamed the shooting on. He blamed it on bullying. And all of his solutions revolved around bullying, how to deal with the bullying. You've probably heard that too in the news. Uh, anytime there's a school shooting and, and bullying was involved, or anytime there was somebody committed suicide and bullying was involved, isn't that what they do? They they zero in on the bullying, and all of their solutions revolve around bullying. But I'd just like to remind you, we're talking about children here. We're talking about children bullying other children and children committing tremendous, horrific atrocities. But we're still talking about children. We're talking about non-adults. Well, this online personality that I like to listen to, as insightful as he is about lots of things, he's wrong about this. He is wrong about this. Uh, Spectacularly wrong about this just like most everything else we talk about here we're not interested in superficial shallow answers are we we're not interested in just looking at the surface of the thing and going and recognizing something glaring and go yeah that glaring thing right there that is the problem yeah if you've been following the last symptom for any length of time you know that the glaring thing on the surface that seems to be the problem is usually not the problem it's usually a symptom of a problem right or a a reflection of the problem so here at the last symptom we're known for uh, digging down deeper getting below the surface Uh, you know pushing away the distractions and the misdirection and trying to see the thing that is hiding beneath all that and identifying that. So let's do that today with bullying. Anybody who tells you that bullying in schools is a real problem in society, you know, it's something we really got to take seriously. I work for a school district. Uh around the time that my daughter was born. I worked there for a couple years as a Spanish interpreter for the students and the staff and the teachers and all those. And so I got to see the culture that goes on in in a high school. And um, bullying was heavily emphasized. How terrible it is and how it's it's gotta be eradicated and all this. You know, this P.S. here's a Spoiler, bullying is not a big problem. It's not a root problem of too many things. But anybody who tells you that school bullying in schools is a real problem in society, the reason they're telling you that is because they lack any true insight. They lack insight. Do you remember what I've told you is one of my favorite qualities of all? Insight. I think that without insight, you know some degree of insight no matter how smart you are you're worthless to me you might be extremely smart you might know lots of things but without insight what good are you to me Uh, take Albert Einstein 
Why was Albert? Why was? Why is Albert Einstein so celebrated today? Is it because he was so smart? Is it? Is it because he was so good at math? No, it was his insight. It was his ability to sit with these things and play these uh, thought experiments and apply them to a thought experiment so that he could see not just the thing, but all of the implications of the thing. That's insight. It's why it's so powerful. Because it takes, you know, what what other people would would know on a surf on the surface insight takes you way beyond that it 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 almost like penetrates this this surface and lets you see beyond all the implications of what that information implies what it can be applied to you know if you ever read uh, like science magazines and stuff like that not, not magazines I'm still I still think I'm living in the 90s or the 80s but you know if you read science articles and stuff like that online and you you read about these discoveries that scientists make and then you go okay well what what good is that that's interesting but what good is that and then they start talking about all the applications that that breakthrough could be used for in life I was just reading about something called graphene. Have you have you heard of graphene? Apparently, graphene, um, you know, which is kind of uh, based on graphite, the same thing that is you know in pencils, pencil lead. Years ago, they come they had this breakthrough and they discovered that it. It's perfect for many, many uses. And um, an article I was just here reading, reading here recently said that they can make that into a sheet. It's like a just a a thin, transparent sheet about the size of a football field. Compact that into a battery, and it would work. You know, like multiple times better than a lithium battery, and perform better in all sorts of conditions. Hold all sorts of extra charge and it could just revolutionize the battery so we're not talking about batteries here we're talking about inside but that's inside is somebody coming across graphene i think i think it's called graphene and not only so oh wow this thing is kind of amazing but them sitting there and thinking about all the applications all the broader uh applications for something like that how it could revolutionize all sorts of products and and industry and that sort of thing i keep bumping my my microphone that's the problem with uh recording these shows now on video is that I, i don't really have the full movement here because i'm i'm restricted by this microphone anyway so that's insight so anybody telling you that bullying is is the root problem of anything they lack insight it's just all there is to it they lack insight bullying is a nice and easy target and it makes people who lack insight feel immediately better because they they have something to point to and blame 
for things like school shootings. And uh, and it's an easy target too. You know, that, that can't be overstated. It's an easy target because it's something we all have experience in. And we don't like. We didn't like it when we got bullied, right? So most people have been bullied. We can point to it and go, oh, God, I hated that. So it's bad. And, of course, you know, you're, you're primed. You, wanna, you want something negative and hateful that you, you really dislike. You, you're ready to pin something terrible on it. But you and I know very well that what seems like the obvious answer in many, many cases is more times than not misdirection, a decoy duck. For example, if your boss loses his temper with you and he yells at you, you might go back to your desk thinking about it and conclude the most obvious. My boss doesn't like me. He's dissatisfied with my work. Or better yet, my boss is a jerk. He's just a total jerk. That's, that explains it. But what if I told you that your boss had just found out the night before that his daughter was diagnosed with cancer and his wife was leaving him for another man? Would the explanation that he doesn't like you that he's dissatisfied with your work or that he's a jerk be the most obvious explanation for why he yelled at you yesterday in the office for why he really yelled at you it might you know it might have something to do with it but we're talking about what really caused him to be in that sort of mood and to yell at you well, the context there changes everything, don't it? So the most obvious explanations, the things that you were most obvious to you in that moment, given some context, suddenly were the obviousness of that just went away. In other words, the obviousness of that in the moment was ultimately irrelevant. I mean, I think we would all agree that if you found out that one of your children had cancer and your partner was leaving you for somebody uh, younger and sexier that uh, that would have an effect on you doesn't matter if you're healthy or unhealthy that would bother you and uh, you would act out of character focusing upon things that are obvious and that everybody can see yeah it's the thing yeah the misdirection is that everybody can see that so pointing at it and saying that's the problem and it's a negative thing that people already dislike. That's that's the magic of that. It's nice and quick and easy. It requires no real insight. Nobody has to apply context. Nobody has to dig. And it instantly makes people who lack insight and feel helpless feel better, doesn't it? That's all. It just makes people feel better instantly. And it gives them a target, you know, for something that they already dislike. It gives them a target. But it doesn't really identify the true underlying issue or problem. Therapists do this every time they come up with a harebrained 
diagnosis like sex addiction and gambling addiction. Did you know that uh, sex addiction and gambling addiction are not real things? They're not real things. I'm going to prove it to you today. We're going to reason this out. By the end of this, you will understand that sex addiction is not a real thing. Gambling addiction, not a real thing. It's entirely invented. It's entirely fictional. And it's total misdirection by the professional community. Is it possible to develop a physical dependency we're talking about a physical dependency like a heroin addiction or alcoholism is it possible to develop a physical dependency on sex and gambling no that's not possible it's not possible to develop a physical dependency on sex and gambling these things are not like alcoholism or heroin addiction where after you've abused a drug for so long your body literally develops a physical dependence on them where your body cannot operate uh, correctly without them. That's what a physical dependency, dependency is. Is sex by itself a problem? No, sex is not a problem. Is gambling by itself a problem? No, gambling by itself is not a problem. Is it unhealthy, unusual, or abnormal for people to like sex? No, not even a little bit. In fact, the opposite is true. It's abnormal unhealthy and unusual for adult human beings to not like sex. So, when the professional community outright lies and invents fake addictions like sex addiction and gambling addiction, can the problems, can those problems that they're trying to give a name to, can they be fundamentally sex or gambling in nature? No. So what are we really talking about when we're talking about people who supposedly have this fictional thing called sex addiction? We're talking about an emotional disorder. That's all it is. The underlying problem is emotional in nature, not sexual in nature. The person is using sex as an outlet and a coping mechanism for underlying emotional issues that have yet to be identified and addressed. And the therapist says, oh, you're, you're having lots of sex. You must have a sex problem. It's not a sex problem. The problem is not fundamentally sexual in nature. The problem is fundamentally emotional in nature. Not sexual in nature, emotional in nature. Another person is using gambling to cope with the exact same underlying issues 
that are emotional in nature. The person is not addicted to gambling. The person has an emotional disorder, and they're using gambling to drown out and numb and escape and run away from the painful emotional issues. Another person spends all their money in compulsive and irresponsible ways to cope with and numb the same underlying issues. Do they have a money spending problem? No, they have an emotional disorder. And the way they're, the way they're coping with it is by spending a lot of money irresponsibly. But you see what I'm saying. In none of these cases is sex, spending money, or gambling the problem. In fact, in none of these cases does sex, spending money, or gambling have any real relevance at all. As far as identifying the real problem and fixing it, you know, the sex, the gambling, the spending money have no relevance whatsoever. They're merely symptoms or coping mechanisms of the problem. They aren't a problem or a cause of anything in and of themselves. So this is what I mean when I say that when you look out at the world and the narratives put forth in the media like I'm highlighting here, even by professional groups and entities, these professional groups and authority, it's very, very common to see the incompetence and lack of insight in play. They look at the surface, they see something very obvious and easy to blame things on, and then they do that. And people swallow it, don't they? Why do they swallow it? Because the things that get the blame are easy to blame. They're easy to believe. They usually have a negative connotation around them. You know, so for example, a person who um, has a, uh, who is diagnosed with this fake diagnosis of a sex addiction, which doesn't exist, remember, but somebody who's diagnosed with that, why is the sex so easy to, uh, to blame? Why is it so easy for a, a quote-unquote professional therapist or expert to point to the sex and say, yep, that's the problem right there. And for people to say, yes, you're right. Because usually the sex is uh, something that the people are not liking. You know, usually the guy's having sex with people who aren't his wife and that sort of thing. And so it's very easy for the partner to go, oh yeah, oh yeah, yep, that's the problem right there, the sex. If he could just stop having the sex. But does just stop having the sex, does that fix the, does that address the problem or fix the problem? No, it doesn't. It doesn't it doesn't even come close to addressing it or or fixing it. So even if he were or she were to completely stop having sex with anybody else except for her husband or his girlfriend, the problem has not been addressed. The problem's still there. Sex isn't the problem, and sex addictions are not a real thing. Not a real thing at all. Total fiction. Total fiction. There are emotional disorders, but there are no such thing as gambling addictions and sex addictions. That's total fiction. And they know it, most of them.
So who can deny that bullying doesn't have a negative connotation? So this is a perfect example of what we've already been talking about. When society identifies something that already has a negative connotation as being to blame for something, it's not hard to get other people on board because people already want a reason to attack that thing. And bullying is something that almost everybody alive has had negative past experiences with to one degree or another. So as soon as somebody starts telling you that uh, it's bullying that explains why uh, this person committed suicide or why kids are taking guns to school and killing people, you and plenty of otherwise smart, really smart people are already primed to want to believe that because it's something you're already walking around with negative feelings and memories about. Well, bullying by peers, while never pleasant, is not the terrible cause of anything. In fact, bullying by peers is a constructive experience in young adulthood. That's the statement that I thought, surely that's going to get me banned from like YouTube or something like that. Bullying by peers in young adulthood and teenage years is a constructive experience because it prepares healthy people for the real world and life in the real world as an adult free agent. Folks, bullying ain't something, it ain't some phenomenon that uh, contains itself to grade schools and high schools. Who, who believes that? Who believes that bullying, like once you get out of grade school and high school, you never have to deal with it again? It's not in real life. Who come up with that narrative? Because it's baloney. Out in the real world, bullying is happening every day. It's happening in every single company and business and branch of government every day in every country I should add do you want to be a politician someday well you're not going to get very far if you can't take being bullied and learn to do some bullying of your own you know literally if you can't if you can't bully somebody you can't bring yourself to do that and you can't take bully getting bullied at all Politics is not the the field for you. You don't belong here. In fact, you don't belong in this world. Because you're primed for a reality that don't exist. Right or wrong has nothing to do with it. It's simply a matter of, do you want to survive in politics? And if you do, do you want to do well in politics? Do you want to get the things done that you would like to accomplish for society? That's going to require some bullying among your peers, the other politicians, and that sort of thing. It's part of the reality of the world. Even politicians who you admire and think, oh, they're so sweet, 
she's so sweet, oh, he's such a big teddy bear. They're only presenting that image. In reality, behind the scenes, they are being bullied, and they are bullying back. That's how politics works. That's the world of politics. And if you don't believe me, you're naive about the world of politics. But it's not just politics. It's the same with any other business. I've worked in factories, out on construction job sites. I've worked for small business owners. I've worked for hospitals. I've worked as a contractor. I've worked in both blue-collar and white-collar jobs equally. Regardless of anywhere I've worked or in any field I've worked in, there was both subtle and not-so-subtle bullying. It's a part of life. It doesn't stop when you get out of high school. I mean, when when you talk about politics in business... The politics in the workplace and stuff like that. What are you talking about? You're talking about bullying to a large extent. So, you know, it's just a part of life. It's just a real part of life. And you can get a big old hair in your biscuit that I'm telling you this and start talking about how things should be and how things shouldn't be and how what you know it that shouldn't be allowed and this shouldn't be allowed and this and that but here at the last symptom we don't live in this fictional world of shoulds and should nots this imaginary non-existent reality we live in the real world that's what acceptance is the opposite is denial the real world that the last symptom symptom exists in and is trying to help other people get to is being able to look at a thing and saying I don't no matter how I feel about that I can see that for what it is I can see the world for what it really is and work with it not against it oh there shouldn't be death there shouldn't be death well whether there should be or should not be is irrelevant there is you see what I'm saying so if you're living like death doesn't exist because you don't like it you don't like the way it makes you feel and you think it shouldn't be good luck to you but you'll get by much much better you'll have much more success if you just look at the thing it doesn't mean you have to like it that's not what acceptance is it just means that you can see the reality there that that is what it is now when I make decisions and I approach the thing I'm approaching the thing based on the real nature of the thing rather than this uh, fictional idea of shoulds and should nots that doesn't even exist. So anybody who thinks they're doing kids a great favor by trying to shield them from bullying in their young adult lives simply has no concept of the harm they're really doing. They also have no insight whatsoever into what the real problem is. They're identifying bullying as the problem that's not the problem so while they're identifying the wrong thing as the problem the real problem is going unaddressed how many of you are familiar with the law of individual inherent rights responsibility and authority well it's the perfect law with which to analyze this issue of school shootings and bullying I 
I've talked about it in great detail in the past in much greater detail than we're going to be able to discuss it today so if you need a comprehensive discussion on this law be sure to listen to other episodes of this podcast or you can also read about the law of individual inherent rights responsibility and authority in the article library over at www.thelastsymptom.com basically the law of individual inherent rights responsibility and authority says that as adult free agents we exist in a, in a little circle around our feet and within that circle is where the entirety of our individual inherent rights responsibility and authority exist outside of that little circle we have no inherent rights responsibility or authority whatsoever it's appropriate then to think of all other human beings as the weather to you very nice analogy an almost perfect analogy because the weather is always going to do whatever the weather does and there ain't a dang thing you can do about it so it makes no sense then does it for you to be burning up any of your attention and time trying to will the weather to do a thing that you want it to do because that's pointless in the end no matter how hard you stomp around and complain beat your head against the wall cry and moan about the weather it's still going to do whatever it does which means you've just spent all these emotions and energy and time and attention in a totally futile and senseless way well what does any of this have to do with bullying school shootings and all these things well another thing that the law of individual inherent rights responsibility and authority helps us understand is that children are not responsible for anything they do a lot of people have a hard time coming to grips with this but it's true when you were five six ten years old that terrible mistake you made that you you're still kicking yourself about you were never responsible for that to begin with your parents were responsible for that oh but I should have known that we don't live in the world of shoulds we live in the worlds of what is what what is true what is not true and in the real world you weren't responsible for breaking that window or accidentally killing that cat or you know just the worst thing that you've been hanging on to your parents were responsible for that how do we know because you were dependent on your parents your parents were the responsible party for you and this is based on human development yeah there's actually a, a solid reasoning for this it's based on human development basically nobody can be held responsible for things they're literally incapable of so no matter how hard, complex this seems to you you should be able to agree with that if I come up to you and I say hey I would love for you to uh, 
swim down to the bottom of the ocean, please, down to the Mariana Trench. I, I dropped a marble. I was in a boat, and I dropped a marble there. I love that marble. Will you, I would like you to swim down there. No swimming, you know, no gear or anything. Just jump off the boat, swim down there, grab it for me and bring it back to me. You'd go, are you out of your mind? Are you out of your mind? Not even submarines can go down there. Well, that doesn't matter to me, I'd say. I want you to get me that marble. You work for me, I expect you to do it. You'd say, you're out of your mind. I'm incapable of jumping off the side of this boat, swimming down to the bottom of the Mariana Trench, holding my breath, no gear on, finding your marble and bringing it back up to the surface. It's, I'm not capable of that. It's impossible. That's what we're talking about here. We're talking about things that people are incapable of, and it's not reasonable for us to have an expectation on somebody for something they're totally incapable of doing. So this means that all children, because they've not yet reached their full human development and are therefore incapable of healthfully and appropriately making decisions for themselves and navigating life, they don't possess their own individual inherent rights, responsibility, and authority over themselves yet. The law of individual inherent rights, responsibility, and authority is something that belongs exclusively to adult free agents, meaning people who have matured to a stage of full human development. Because once they've done that, then they are completely independent. They don't need somebody to take care of them because they've reached their full capacity as a human being. They can now take care of themselves if they only care to and try. So this is where the principle of capacity versus ability comes in. Just because I'm unable to understand mortgages don't mean I'm incapable of understanding mortgages. As an adult free agent, you know, who has reached, I'm, I'm now at my, the apex of human development. Just because I'm unable to understand mortgages doesn't mean I'm incapable of understanding mortgages. As an adult free agent, if I'm not able to understand mortgages, I can still take charge over myself, learn how mortgages work, go get a job, and then buy myself a house, can't I? Saying somebody is unable to do a thing is not the same as saying that they're incapable, incapable of doing a thing, see? If you're incapable of doing a thing, what that literally means is that you couldn't even if you wanted to. No matter how hard you tried, you couldn't. My six-year-old daughter is incapable of building her own house. It's not a matter of her just not trying hard enough. She couldn't do it no matter how hard she tried. She couldn't do it no matter how hard she wanted to. So it's not that she's just unable, but rather she's incapable. 
that possibility does not exist within her yet her development as a human being just it's just not there this is an interesting thing to spend a lot of time thinking about because as human beings our capacities or our capabilities actually evolve as we mature so there are a lot of things that 15 year olds right now are literally incapable of that they will not be incapable of in just another five years isn't that kind of amazing to think about and that applies to you too there were things that when you were 15 you were incapable of that uh, just a few years later you were not incapable of anymore so think about your capacities or your capabilities as inherent possibilities that exist inside of you regardless of whether you ever take advantage of them or not so for example I have the capacity to learn to play the trombone I have, the, I have that capacity I'm unable because I've never bothered to learn and to be perfectly honest it doesn't really interest me but still that inherent possibility does exist within inside of me nevertheless if at any time um, I decide that that's something I'm interested in and would like to do I could do it why because I have that capacity it's an inherent possibility inside of me I'm capable of playing the trombone even though I'm unable to play the trombone how are adult free agents different from dependent non-adults well the most important difference is that adult free agents have reached that apex of natural human development they're they're there all the capabilities and capacities that exist to human beings are now accessible to them before you reach that there are capabilities and capacities that are not accessible to you because you you haven't gotten there in your development yet and so for children for non-adult dependents they're they're still developing because of this it's adult parents who possess individual inherent rights responsibility and authority over their dependent non-adult children when do children get their own individual inherent rights responsibility and authority well we've answered that I think when they reach their full development when their full human capacities or capabilities within them exist until that happens who's responsible for them for everything the children do for their failures for their mistakes for everything for anything that happens to them think about that so it's not even something the child has done it's something that has happened to the child who's responsible for that the parents the adult parents and why because the adult parents had the capacity to protect them the the adult parents had the capacity to foresee the danger and avoid it so children aren't responsible for their mistakes their failures none of these things it's the parents who possess the inherent right to tell them how to live what to do 
what not to do, and all these things until they reach adulthood. I've used the example of my dog. If I'm out walking my dog in my neighborhood, he bites the neighbor. Guess who's responsible for my dog biting the neighbor? Is it, me? Is it my dog? It's not my dog, is it? It's me. Why am I responsible for what my dog did? Because I'm the responsible party. And it works no different for children. Why am I responsible for what my child does? Because I'm the responsible ch party. My child is dependent on me. That's how that works. My dog, for example, is not capable of understanding truly all the subtleties of law and what's right and wrong and all these things. Between the two of us walking down the street, only I am truly capable of understanding those things. Now, it doesn't matter if I'm unable to understand the law. It only matters if I'm capable of understanding the law. And as an adult free agent, I am capable of understanding the law. <clears throat> All I have to do is care enough to look at what the law is and sit down and try to understand it. And I, I could if I wanted to. Several years ago, in a sort of offhand comment, I think during this show, I gave the only proper legal consequence for school shootings that harmonizes with the law of individual inherent rights, responsibility, and authority. And I said at that time that society or the legal system had not quite yet caught up to living in harmony with the laws and principles governing life and the proper way things work. Well, maybe that's starting to change, as we'll see today. What does bullying target? Bullying. When somebody is being bullied, what is the bullying targeting? What makes the bullying effective? Well, what makes it effective is that it targets one's sense of worth. When does a person cement into place their understanding of the nature of his or her worth? Well, they do this from birth, and by the time one is three or four years of age. That's when a person cements into place their understanding about the nature of human worth, of people worth. By three or four years of age, one has already established his or her understanding of the nature of human value, which means that one has already concretely established the nature of how people worth works, the nature of it, and so therefore the nature of his or her own value, and by extension, the value, you know, how other people's value as human being, beings work as well. How do we know that this has already happened within all people by three or four years of age? We know it because things like how you perceive and understand the nature of things like feelings and human worth are fundamental in nature. Think of human development like a tree. 
before a tree can grow a trunk and branches and leaves and you know what we identify as a tree before it can get to all that what has to uh, be established first roots right yeah roots so think of children as making observations and coming to conclusions about the nature and feeling of feelings and self like a seed growing roots those are the roots this is the natural order it simply has to happen in once the roots are in place then the tree can move on to grow branches and a trunk and leaves and stuff like that but you know the 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 branches and leaves and the trunk that can't all happen before the roots are in place it just can't we're talking about natural progression here or you can think about a natural human development like a house you'd never go up to a carpenter look at his completed house and say to him hey uh, mr. carpenter I'm just curious uh, did you put that concrete foundation there before or after you put the walls and the roof on the house it's an absurd question because before you can even get to the part where the walls and the roof can be considered the foundation has to be in place first doesn't it starting starting with the roof or the walls is not even possible so as human beings our natural development requires that before we can move on to other aspects of our development we have to have established a working understanding of certain fundamental aspects of life and those fundamental aspects of life that emotional health is built upon is an understanding of the very nature of feelings and self once we have that in place then we can start building upon that layering up on top of that understanding with other aspects of development for example the nature of relationships the nature of friendships how to deal with conflicts these sorts of things but before we can even begin to get to trying to figure those sorts of things out we need to have established a foundation to inform our approach to those things and that happens between the ages of birth and three or four years of age that's the stage of learning where people all people establish their understanding about the most fundamental aspects of life this period of development and the approximate window that we're talking about is dependable for all people it doesn't matter if you're an individual it still happened in that window of time for you it's reliable to know that it happened in that window of time for you because of the reliable laws that govern natural human development if you're a person you are not trying to establish the nature of feelings and self when you are 10 you've already established that years ago you're figuring out other things now at 10 natural human development is already way down the road and it's on to other things like less fundamental things you develop the fundamental things in the very few years first few years after that 
we're not talking about fundamental things we're talking about things you're layering you know you're the fundamental things are now informing these other things in life that you're coming into contact with and trying to understand gravity is a good example think about this in order to learn to do so much as walk or throw things your little developing child self had to first study and lay down a solid foundation of understanding about how gravity works I bet you never even considered that before but it's true no you didn't sit down and consciously analyze gravity but you did observe and experiment with its effects on your body and on other objects right if you don't believe me watch a toddler trying to learn to walk and I dare you to deny that they understand what's about to happen when they begin to lose their balance they know they know what's going to happen right they know they're going to fall or how about when they toss an object from their hands they're they're eating at the supper table and they don't like the peas and they throw a spoon I dare you to tell me that that little toddler is expecting that spoon to go floating up to the ceiling no the toddler would the toddler would be as surprised as you would be if that happened why because the toddler understands gravity even then at that early age toddlers understand gravity very very well by the time they're about a year old how did any of you sit down with your kids and explain a bunch of complicated physics to them in the first few months after they were born then how do they know they know from observation from first-hand experience they may they may not know what it's called or even be consciously aware that it's something that exists but unconsciously or subconsciously they are very familiar with it with how it behaves and how to approach life while taking it into consideration that's uh, interesting they may not even consciously be aware of it but unconsciously they are aware of it and everything they do they're taking it into consideration nevertheless their understanding of gravity is something they have had to concretely put into place before they ever get to walking or throwing things because how they throw things and how they approach walking is completely dependent on first understanding the nature of gravity back to children establishing their understanding about the nature of feelings and self once they've established their concrete certainties about this about these things what happens next next everything simply appears to confirm what one already now concretely believes so to illustrate it if your concrete beliefs about feelings and self is accurate and healthy 
you look out at the world and every experience you experience as confirming it. So if your fundamental beliefs are feelings always matter and I have inherent worth as a person, when you observe the world, everything you observe seems to uh, confirm it. And And in this case, it really is confirming it. You really do have inherent value and your feelings really do always matter. That's why you grow up healthy because your understanding of these fundamental things is accurate and therefore your approach to life harmonizes with life. If your concrete beliefs about feelings and self is distorted and unhealthy and inaccurate, what happens? The same thing happens. You still look out at life and view life and everything you experience as confirming what you already believe. That your feelings don't matter. And that you don't have inherent worth. In other words, just on your own, you have no worth. You have to earn it or it has to be granted to you. So, for example, if you believe your worth is an inherent quality, which is the truth, by the way, it really is inherent in nature, then you go about in life interpreting everything through this lens, or, you know, this using this premise. My value as a person is inherent to me being a person. It's not dependent on any external thing, like how many other people admire me or not, or whether I'm wearing the most stylish brands of clothes or not, or whether I'm star of the high school football team or not, or if I'm wearing the latest, most stylish and most expensive brand of tennis shoes or not. What happens when a teenager gets bullied and that teenager has lived his or her whole life knowing that his or her value as a person is an inherent quality? So it's not dependent on any external thing. My worth as a person is inherent to me, and my feelings always matter. And now a bully comes up and tries to bully that child. What happens? What is the perception of that child toward the bullying? The perception is this. That person, there's something wrong with that person. There's something wrong with that bully. That's the perception. So does the bullying work, in other words? No, it doesn't work. Bullying doesn't work on healthy children. Why doesn't it work on healthy children? Because healthy children are perceiving their value as non-dependent. It doesn't depend on whether you like me or not. I just do have worth because I'm a person. And my feelings always matter. So the the bully comes up, is bullying the healthy kid. Does it work? It doesn't work not even a little bit. Bullying only works on people who are already questioning their worth as people. And healthy people are not questioning their worth as people. 
So, again, the perception, what is the healthy child, what is the healthy child's perception of the bully upon being bullied? Does the healthy child go, oh, he's right, I'm a piece of crap, I'm worthless, I'm terrible? No. No, the healthy child doesn't look inward at all. The healthy child doesn't start to question, is something wrong with me? No, the healthy child, whose perceptions are, my worth is inherent to being a person, and my feelings always matter, the only thing the healthy child thinks is, what is wrong with that person, the bully? There's something wrong with that bully. I don't like being treated this way, but the problem is him or her. It's not me. The problem isn't on my side. The problem is on that guy's side. That guy or that girl's got, got issues. They should probably look into those. And so the healthy child walks off more or less unaffected. I mean, again, I'll say that the, the healthy child doesn't appreciate being treated that way. But the healthy child doesn't walk off viewing himself or herself as the problem. And they they put no merit into anything that was said. The only thing it's evidence of is it's evidence that there's something unhealthy about that person. Not not himself or herself, you know, the, the person, the target of it but rather the person causing the abuse. So, bullying doesn't work on healthy kids. It doesn't work on healthy kids. Because bullying, by its very nature, is an attack on somebody's sense of worth. Because of that, literally, the only teenagers it can have any effect on whatsoever are those teenagers whose own parents think about this whose own parents have already put that there did the bullies put it there when they were two years old three years old no their their own parents put that there their own parents have raised them questioning their worth in the first place. That's the only reason bullying works. So, um, I've tried to be careful to say that bullying is not a big issue when we're talking about our peers and when we're talking about uh, children in their teenage years and and those sorts of things. There is a form of bullying that is disgusting, inexcusable, and is truly a scourge on humanity. You know what bullying we're talking about? We're talking about the type of bullying uh, that comes from parents towards uh, towards their own children between the ages of birth and three or four and, you know, throughout their lives. But really that's when the, the, the harshest damage is done. By three or four, the child is already determined by observing his or her own parents' attitudes that their worth is questionable. It's not inherent to being a person. They have to earn it. 
if they don't live the right way, if they don't do the right thing, if they don't say the right thing, if they don't do everything that the parents like, if they don't accomplish enough, if they don't uh, hold a spoon the right way, if they don't wear the right clothes, if they don't like the right things, then they have no worth. And their parents, through their unhealthy, sickening attitudes, are the ones who plant this certainty in the minds of their children. And why do they do that? Because that's the attitudes that the parents truly live with. The the parents truly live in that reality. They truly look out at the world and believe that inherent worth is not a true thing. They don't believe it for themselves. So when they look at their children, how can they believe it for their children? And when they look at their friends, how can they believe it for their friends? They don't. Unhealthy attitudes. That's at the root of emotional disorder. And that's how it gets passed on from parents to children to uh, them becoming parents and then they pass it to their children and and, an endless loop. So it's really the parents of these children and teenagers who are the true fundamental problem. The attitudes that they live with present this false premise to their children who are learning you know, to set these fundamental, concrete uh, understandings about themselves and the world. And they do this by observing their parents' attitudes. And it's, so it's the parents who present this false premise to their children who have been observing and learning from them their entire, entire lives that their value as human beings is not inherent to being a human being. It's instead something that has to be earned or granted. And how is it typically earned or granted? Uh, Through admiration or acceptance. So if people don't admire or accept you, you don't have any worth. And that's that. Does a child who knows his or her worth is inherent to being a person walk around thinking that his or her worth fluctuates? Dependent on how many people accept him or her? Not even a little bit. Perceiving your worth as inherent means that it's totally unaffected by anything external and petty like that. On top of this, as the law of individual inherent rights, responsibility, and authority properly explains, children aren't responsible for anything that they do. They're not responsible for anything they do. They're not responsible for anything they fail to do. Children aren't inherently responsible for their own selves at all. Rather, it's those who are inherently responsible for the children or the child that are responsible for everything they do or fail to do. And like I said earlier, anything that happens to them. So... It doesn't even have to be something they did or didn't do. If something bad happens to a child, who's responsible for that? The child? No. The person who was in charge of the child is responsible for that. So when a 13-year-old takes a gun to school and kills his classmates, who's responsible for that in reality? It's the parents. Whether you, No matter how you feel about that, that's the truth. It's the parents who are responsible for that. All those dead children at the school. Stop looking at the kid who took the gun to school. 
look beyond the kid at who was responsible for the kid. That's who's responsible for those dead kids. It's the parents. And until now, in most cases, the law has done a really piss-poor job of turning its attention to those truly responsible for these things and of truly holding them fully accountable. One thing I will say that the courts seem to do pretty well as far as uh, working in harmony with the law of individual inherent rights, responsibility, and authority is that when trying to determine whether or not to try teenagers as children or adults, uh, they've done pretty good about that. What are they trying to figure out and establish when they have these hearings to try to figure out, are we going to try this per, this individual as a child or as an adult? What are they trying to determine? Well, put very simply, they're trying to determine where that person is in their human development. Have they yet reached their full development, that is to say capacity, as a human being yet because remember you can't expect things of people they're incapable of you can expect things they're unable to do yes I'm not uh, contradicting myself there you can expect things of people that they're unable to do as long as they possess the capacity to do that thing but you can't expect things of somebody that they're incapable of. And remember, as I, we mentioned earlier, what you're capable of changes the older you get until eventually you reach the, the plateau where, okay, I'm an adult free agent now, and now all of the capacities, the human being capacities that exist are now open to me. So the courts frequently have hearings to try to determine where these non-adult lawbreakers are in their development. If they determine they've reached their full adult development, which, by the way, happens at different stages of life for everybody. You know, I, I remember like a guy named Larry in my high school. I think he was, I think he could grow a full beard by the time we were in sixth or seventh grade. So that's just physical development, right? When we're talking about full adult uh, development. We're not just talking about the physical aspect of it. We're talking about all aspects. Emotional, mental, physical, spiritual. It's when a person has reached that. You know, if you think about like a lot of the um, terrible, just unthinkable, horrible things that some, some teenagers have done um, and the court's trying to, to determine where they're at in their human development, they're, probably their focus is on emotional development, mental and emotional. So there's different aspects of human development. But, uh, and, you know, there are children who grow up to be able to grow full beards and um, probably reach full physical maturity uh, much sooner than they do their emotional and mental maturity. But, you know, at any rate, we're talking about several different aspects of full development here we're talking about all aspects of development reaching their full maturity so uh, the courts they try to determine where these people are in their development if they determine that they've reached their full adult development 
then then it's fair to try them as adults. If they have not yet reached their full development, it's not reasonable to try them as adults. So let's take everything we've talked about today and apply it to the school shooting that was in the news lately. And I would like you to keep these two things at the forefront of your mind as we do. Number one, parents are responsible for their dependent children. Children aren't responsible for themselves. It doesn't matter how heinous the act. Adults are responsible for their dependent children. Number two, it's parents' unhealthy emotional attitudes. Attitudes. Everybody wants to say, oh, the physical abuse and all that. No, stop complicating it. You're getting you're getting off track there. It's it's no more complicated than their attitudes, because whatever unhealthy attitudes that a parent that the parents live with, they will pass that on to their children. So, number two, it's parents' emotional uh, unhealthy emotional attitudes that cause children to have emotional disorders. That is the cause of emotional disorders. And emotional disorders are rooted in the lie that our worth as human beings is not inherent in nature. So let's uh, analyze this latest school shooting. We'll read you some headlines and we'll just apply everything that we've talked about here today. Four dead, seven injured. I think those numbers grew. In Oxford High School shooting, suspect is 15 year old student from Yahoo News uh, December 1st 2021 a 15 year old Oxford High School sophomore armed with a semi-automatic handgun is accused of a shooting at his school Tuesday afternoon killed some students and injured some others I don't want to give the details because I don't want to glorify that the incident unfolded in about five minutes and police said the shooter, who was not injured, was arrested after deputies stopped him coming down a hall with a gun and with lots of rounds of ammunition. The sheriff late Tuesday said the suspect's father purchased the handgun just four days ago. Now, remember what I told you to keep in mind. Who's truly responsible and attitudes, right? What are we learning already? What are we what are we learning already about the people who are responsible? So we know already that the student, the person who did the shooting, is emotionally unhealthy, right? We also know that he's emotionally unhealthy because of what? Because of the attitudes that his parents live with. So we're trying to read this, this art, these articles and, and get a glimpse into the attitudes that his parents live with. What have you figured out already? The suspect's father purchased the handgun just four days ago. It was unclear whether the suspect had targeted anyone. Some said he was bullied. What's the... What's the message there? 
We already talked about it, didn't it? Didn't we? That bullying is the problem, right? Bullying is at the root of the, of school shootings. Uh, the 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 problem at the root of this phenomenon of school shootings is bullying, right? Everybody wants to focus on that, and that's the message here. The news article is trying to tell us that bullying's the problem. Just would like to throw that in there. Bullying, bullying. At a 5 p.m. Uh, news conference, the governor called mass shootings a uniquely American problem that needs to be addressed. Well, it's true that uh, the shooting part of it seems to be uniquely American, but are emotional disorders uniquely American? No, they're not at all. And in fact, when I look at news reports coming out of England and that sort of thing, and the things that those kids do, they're just as heinous, but it's just not with guns. That's the thing. So there's nothing uniquely American about people being raised by parents who cause their children to to doubt their worth as human beings. Uh, The governor near tears said that I think this is every parent's worst nightmare. That's true. As a parent, I can tell you that... um, it was a big influence and factor for why my daughter doesn't go to school. She does school online. And I, I didn't see, you know, when I looked out at the world, I don't, I don't see anybody uh, identifying the true problem. I don't see them holding accountable the true perpetrators of the problem. And um, so I say the problem's not going to go away. It's just going to keep getting worse. People want to uh, blame bullying because it makes them feel better problem's not going to get any better and the problem's not even being addressed people aren't even willing to talk about the real problem it makes them feel better to identify a thing that they already dislike and say that that's the problem and you know and then it's the there's two sides to it the other people are the guns guns are the problem guns aren't the problem guns are not the problem It's, it's parents and their unhealthy attitudes about feelings and self. That's the problem. And unless you fix that, uh, you know, and you take, you take away all the guns in the world, people, the kids are going to go to school, they're going to stab people. They're going to hurt people in other ways. Uh, maybe they won't be able to hurt people in the numbers that they do with, you know, these, these guns, but... Uh, and you might take some comfort in that, but I wouldn't take any comfort in that. If, if my daughter was one of three people who got killed, would you? Would you go, oh, well, thank goodness it was only my daughter and two other students and not 15 other students. You wouldn't be thinking like that. And as somebody who, uh, you know, likes to see the, the real problem addressed, not willing to let my, my daughter go to school as long as <clears throat> these things were happening, and I see no honest dialogue on it or policies targeting the real problem. Uh, police said they were unaware of any warning signs, but some parents and students said that they had heard rumors before Tuesday that something bad might happen at the school. Earlier this month, Oxford Schools published a note to parents that it was aware that numerous rumors had circulated throughout our building this week. And the school was reviewing those concerns. It was nice, right, for them to review those concerns and do nothing. 
Uh, students who were interviewed by reporters described a chaotic and confused scene in which a voice come on over the intercom to announce an active shooter. At first, they said they didn't know whether it was a drill. But when they realized it wasn't, they were struck by fear and panic. Failed. What we're reading about right now is that they were failed by the adults who were supposed who were responsible for them. <laughs> These children weren't responsible for themselves. The, the, the parents were responsible for them at home. And uh, there were a bunch of adults who were responsible for them at the school. And uh, all of the adults failed all of these people, all of these dependent children. Students said teachers locked and barricaded doors, covered windows, and some students hid. Uh, they texted people and, to let them know what were happening. Everybody was in tears. Some students said they could hear loud bangs. By early afternoon, the sheriff's office said that it had taken the suspect and the handgun into custody. Thanks for that. Officials said they were shocked and devastated and asked for prayers. Notice this next line in this news report. The suspect, keep in mind he's 15, police said, asked for an attorney. How did the 15-year-old child who just gunned down a bunch of students know to ask for an attorney? Where do you think he got that education? He's 15, just gunned down a bunch of students, and the first thing he does is ask for an attorney. Well, we're going to get to his parents here real quick, and you, you can come to your own conclusions about who he got that advice from. You know, if you ever run into the cops, if you ever have a run-in with the cops, here's what you do. One student was in chemistry class when she thought she heard glass breaking. My teacher kind of run out and was scrambling, she said. Next thing I knew, I saw he was pushing tables. It's part of school protocol to barricade, so we all knew. Barricade, barricade down, and we all started pushing tables. Then they lined up along a wall and grabbed something to throw, also part of the active school uh, shooter training they've had. But not long after, she said, her teacher told them to jump out a window and run. From realclearpolitics.com Following the recent mass murder at a suburban Detroit high school, the question might be, how do we target the adults who hand powerful firearms to children with mental illness. What's the problem with that? What's the problem with that article right there? Are we to believe that this child's brain was malfunctioning at the time of this? I don't think so. So it wasn't mental illness, was it? What was it? It was emotional health. Emotional health was at play. So this kid's brain wasn't malfunctioning. That's not why he did it. It was emotional health. But real clear politics isn't smart enough to, to know that. Or emotionally honest, let's say, enough to make that distinction. 
The parents of this child presented their clearly troubled 15-year-old with a high-powered weapon. He is charged with using the semi-automatic handgun to murder four students at Oxford High School. Anything else we've learned about the parents' attitudes here? What sorts of attitudes do they live with? Folks, we're getting all these details now. Well, their parents who, knowing that their 15-year-old was troubled, that's just another way of saying emotionally unhealthy, not mentally ill, but emotionally unhealthy, they said, here, son, have this uh, high-powered weapon. Any, any conclusions you can draw from that about these parents' attitudes? What attitudes must they live with? Well, probably one of non-accountability. One of, oh, every, life's a big old joke and there's no consequences for anything, right? Why is this kid so emotionally unhealthy to begin with? Have you stopped to think about that yet? What kind of attitudes does his parents have about human worth? Let me ask you this. If, if the understanding that you live with is that human worth is not an inherent quality, that it is, um, it has to be granted to you, or earned, and that it can be taken away from you. Do you walk away around? Do you walk around <clears throat> viewing as a particularly atrocious the idea of just blasting people away with a gun? You might have notions of, well, I shouldn't do that because it's not socially acceptable. But on a very profound level, do you walk around viewing people as inherent? You know, if you don't view yourself as having, as possessing inherent value as a human being, do you look out at other human beings and go, oh, well, they all have, they all possess inherent value as well. So therefore, it would be, uh, a horrific idea to shoot people or is the opposite more likely if you don't view that you know if you don't view yourself and people as having inherent value well then shooting them and killing people and doing terrible things to them probably wouldn't be that that awful would it why not do that if people don't have inherent value <clears throat> article goes on to say this is hardly the first case of parents enabling a sick child to act on his violent fantasies Nancy Lanza the mother of the 20 year old who killed 27 innocents at the Connecticut elementary school left an unsecured Bushmaster .223 caliber rifle at her tidy house Nancy was Adam Lanza's first victim Laurel Harper had previously placed her son Christopher in a psychiatric hospital, but that did not deter her from keeping unsecured guns at their home. Christopher brought six of them to his 2015 rampage at a community college in Oregon. Nine students died. Again, we're, we're reading this and we're analyzing what obvious attitudes these people live with. 
Nancy would go to bars at night and brag about all the guns she kept at home. This article, uh, you know, that this uh, real clear politics that they want to pin the problem on guns. I'll just uh, tell you that right now. They're also demented. <laughs> They're as demented as the people who want to blame uh, bullying. <clears throat> guns aren't the problem. Bullying's not the problem. I've told you what the problem is. Let's see. New York Post, December 3rd. Parents of Oxford School shooting suspect charged with involuntary manslaughter. Well, that's the part where I told you, maybe things are starting to change. What happened? Oh, the people responsible, the, the people who truly were responsible for that school shooting, charged. Charged with it. Charged with involuntary manslaughter. Now we're getting somewhere. Now we're getting somewhere. Until this starts happening every time, we'll get nowhere. It has to happen every time. The courts, the law has to say that a child is not responsible for himself or herself. Therefore, if a child shoots somebody, immediately, just like if my dog bites my neighbor, the parents immediately must be taken into custody and charged with the crime. So, New York Post, December 3rd, 2021. Uh, this kid's parents were tr- each charged with four counts of involuntary manslaughter. Somebody, some politician said, I want to be really clear that these charges are meant to hold the individuals who contributed to this tragedy accountable and also send a message that gun owners have a responsibility. It's not just gun owners. It's, it's parents. It's adults have a responsibility the guns have nothing to do with it, really. I mean, obviously that was the wep- that was the the violent weapon of choice in this case. But it's not it's not it's not just that gun owners have a responsibility. It's that parents have a responsibility. I would really like for these uh, idiots to get it right. So she says that uh, they have a responsibility when they fail to uphold that responsibility. There are serious and criminal consequences she also laid out how the school made mistakes and helped contribute to the killing including knowing that he was drawing pictures of a gun with the words the thoughts won't stop help me and then failing to tell law enforcement and letting him back into class can you wrap your mind around that when I said that the in all regards the adults who were responsible for this kid failed everybody this is an example of it they had a they had all the warning signs there they let the kid back into class and said nothing to law enforcement about it the school did mcdonald spoke to the fury directed at the school from law enforcement and parents for letting crumbly return to class um anyway there's a lot more here Here's from the New York Post, December 3rd, 2021. Parents of Michigan high school gunmen had their own run-ins with the law. So the shooter's parents, who were both hit with involuntary manslaughter charges Friday in connection with the crime, have faced legal trouble before. Does this surprise you? So it gives some of the things that they've been in trouble with legally. Investigators say the boy's parents advised him not to speak to authorities following his arrest. Remember what I asked you? Where'd he get that idea at? 
of asking to speak to a lawyer. He's 15 years old. Where did you get that idea? Whose attitudes is this 15-year-old reflecting? Where did he get these attitudes? He got them from his parents. They're the ones. No, I don't talk to police. If you do something terrible, it's not your fault. They're just out to get you. Um, parents of school shooters are rarely charged. This is from Yahoo News, December 4th, 2021. In a rare move, the parents of the 15-year-old who killed people uh, have been charged. So the parents have been charged, and what advocates say is a warning and a step toward accountability. NBC News legal analyst Danny Savarios said the charges against parents in cases like this are not particularly common, but they're not unprecedented in Michigan. He said the charges are a good strategic choice only because as recently as 2018, a a similar theory of liability was upheld. Isn't that interesting? A A similar theory of liability was upheld. What are they talking about? They're not talking about a theory. Maybe in a legal sense they're talking about a theory. But what we're really talking about is the law of individual inherent rights, responsibility, and authority, which is a law. It's something that governs the universe. The law of individual inherent rights, responsibility, and authority is not something that you can just go, well, it's real or it's not real. It is real. And it governs the universe. So anything, you know, it's like gravity. Gravity is a law. So anything like that that is a law, then it becomes a matter of are we living in harmony with it or are we not? If you don't live in harmony with it, you don't, you, get, you don't get good results. It's only when you live in harmony with it, you recognize it, you recognize the wisdom of living in harmony with it, and you apply that wisdom that you get good results. But anyway, that is our conversation today. Well, there's other so much more there to discuss I had uh, copy and pasted like articles and articles and we're just getting way out of control here I mean I'm, I'm looking at the clock here I'm like up over an hour and a half so let's wind this up uh, there's a quote I wanted to share with you this week by Carlos Cast- Castaneda he says we either make ourselves miserable or we make ourselves strong the amount of work is the same. Isn't that wise? We either make ourselves miserable or we make ourselves strong. The amount of work is the same. I hope you folks enjoyed this show and uh, let me know what you think about it. Until next week, this is Brian Barnett signing off. Thanks a lot for listening, everybody. Mm-hmm.